Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen we're doing it the best we can. It's Mike and Mike go to the movies. I'm Mike Smith, and joining me is a man who must not fear because he knows that fear is the mind killer. Mike Decrescio. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. I tried to, for a, a fraction of a second, I was like, I'm going to do the whole, and then I'm not going to do the whole fear is the mind killer thing. I couldn't. <laughs> not, not for... Uh, I mean... You've seen Dune a fair number of times, Mike, at this a point, right? A handful of times, yeah. You might be able to recite it from memory. It's something about uh, something about looking in, inward and following the path, and uh, fear is the something about the obliteration. I don't know. I'm not Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> we can't all be uh, Academy Award nominated for Doctor Sleep. Come on, uh, that didn't happen. But man, I wish it did. <laughs> she was so good in Doctor Sleep. <laughs> I can't be <laughs> an actor that the only thing about my character is that I wear a hat and I pull it off. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Dr. Sleep is great. And that's movie. why this week, that's why this week we're talking about Dr. Sleep. That's uh, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's been going on in your life, Mike? What's, uh, what's new with you? Oh, not a whole lot that I want to talk about on the podcast. You know, it's fine. We're hanging Fair out. Enough. We're, we're alive. And there's that. How are you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, Fair hunt, the Han yeah, Solo same. response. I'm good. We're all great here. Yeah. Uh, everything's fine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, everything's fine here. Uh, watching movies and whatnot, uh, getting amped for uh, Dune Part Two. Yes, uh, which uh, as of this recording is coming out this weekend. Uh, I think next week on the podcast uh, we're going to be doing a Dune Part Two like full on review, right, Mike? Remember when we used to do those? Yeah, every every once in a while we would talk about like a new movie. We we used to do that every two weeks, every episode. Every week. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> every episode was like discussions and then something else and then review like it was like a, every episode was like film almost, news remember fi- remember that era we used to do film news yeah which uh yeah yeah that's crazy that we <laughs> like looking back i was like oh yeah every episode was like two plus hours long how do we how do we sustain that <laughs> well we were we were you know 23 true <laughs> um, so, 23 and we were so also only doing one podcast a week back then uh, which helps yeah. now we're doing two. Uh, and so we sort of split our time up a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, now, now about an hour is what we tend to strive for here. I might go to the movies and I think that's fine. Yeah. That's just swell. I think. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, do, so we're going to be, uh, harkening back to our older days, uh, by reviewing a new movie coming out, uh, Dune part two, which I'm very excited about. Uh, you know, the new, uh, Denny Villeneuve film, the conclusion of the Dune story sort of, uh, it seems like they have planted the seeds for, you know, the next Dune chapter. Uh, like they, it's Denny Villeneuve is like pretty open about wanting to do Dune Messiah now at some point. Um, so yeah. yeah so there's, there's like seven novels. I think it is. I've never read any of them, but I know there are a bunch of, uh, other novels and I think, uh, Frank Herbert's son finished the series or something yes. like this. There's, there's kind of a, gr- a larger Dune, uh, literary universe thing. Yes. So, From what I, so I Frank, guess you can kind of adapt to anything. Yeah. I think Frank Herbert wrote the original six novels of Dune. And then there's like a few more that Frank Herbert's son wrote. I've heard the ones that his son wrote pretty bad. Uh, you know, I, I have not tried to, I've also never read anything Dune related. I've never read Dune. My familiarity with Dune is the David Lynch movie Dune from 1984. The the David Lynch version, which adapted the whole book into one movie and the 2021 uh, Dune part one. Also uh, on the HBO series togetherness in the second season of that show, a lot, a large subplot 
hinges on Mark Duplass like doing a stage version of Dune, like uh, <laughs> incredible, uh, which was pretty fun. There was like a little homemade sandworm that he that he created, and it was cool. But yeah, but I've never read Dune. I, I have considered becoming a Dune guy. I don't know. Do you do you do you think I, I should become a Dune guy? <laughs> I feel like that would really broaden the Mike Smith mythos. If you just got like really into Dune. If next time I see you, you have a giant like Shai Halu tattoo across your chest and stomach. I think that would that would rule. Yes, uh, it it seems like something I could get very into. But like every time I've tried to do Dune before, I I don't know. I feel like there's like a barrier to entry for me for whatever reason. Uh, so have you seen the David Lynch movie, the '84 Dune, Mike? I actually have not. Okay. I've not seen it. I've seen parts of it and stuff, but never actually watched the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, I, th- um, I think it has largely been considered David Lynch's worst movie for most of his career. A movie that, um, you know, it, it's it was meant by the studio to be like this is the next Star Wars, and so they kept interfering with David Lynch on how to make this Dune movie, and it's largely impenetrable to people who haven't read the book. And it, famously, like when the movie came out the studio like issued pamphlets to movie theaters that like explained the mythos of dune like the mythology of it what like it was extra homework for you for you to figure out what the hell is going on in this movie and so yeah i had seen that didn't really fully kind of grasp it and then i watched dune part one in theaters when it came out and i thought it was incredibly well made i liked it but i I wasn't something about the story just like kept me apart from it and uh now having watched it again and we'll talk about why in a second having watched it again i'm like i don't uh, maybe because I know part two is coming in a week. Like it, it played a lot better for me uh, this time around. Okay. But uh, anyway, that's, that's sort of what we're doing today. So we're doing a general discussions episode today, right, Mike? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We got a couple things and then we'll just, we'll just do Dune. Yeah. After, so we're going to do uh, a general discussions where we've each got a couple of things to talk about, but the main focus is going to be uh, that Mike and I both rewatched a uh, Dune part one uh, in anticipation of Dune part two, uh, which uh, is coming out this weekend. Yeah. I, I just, I just, before we even get into it, I just remember how fucking cool it was when that movie started when Dune and then it's this like Dune part one. And everyone's like, <laughs> Oh shit. Like it was totally un like incredible. Yeah. What a baller move. Uh, anyway. Yeah. We got discussions. I mean, th- that is the, uh, th- that is the thing. Yeah. Let's get into it. Let's it's time for some discussions. Watch this. Gotta play theme song. <laughs> yeah. Got it. We can't, what are we going to do? Just when I thought I said all I could say, my body and I talk about movies we see. These are my discussion. There is so much to see you and me. So we're going to talk about movies for our discussions. All right, it's time for some discussion. So do you want to start with Dune, Mike, and then just uh, trickle off with a few other things? Or do you want to do the other things first and then lead into Dune? I mean, we're already talking about Dune. We're already going. We're doing it, you know? Um, Yeah, I think, um, yeah, when I watched it in theaters, I knew that it was going to be the first half of the book. Just like having, like, you know, read film news stories and stuff. But I think a lot of audiences were not expecting it to be Dune part one. I think they just expected it to be like, oh, yes, Dune. This is Dune. It's it's Uh, two hours and 45 minutes. It must be the whole story. (laughs) Right. Uh, And in fact, it is only half of it. And when when Dune came out, I mean, uh, it was playing in theaters, but it was also one of those movies that was at the same time on HBO Max, uh, which I think is how you watched it. Right, Mike? So that's what I was trying to remember, because I don't I don't seem to think I would have gone to theaters, but I have either created a memory for myself that I saw this in theater theaters or I did. I don't, I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, feels at, like at that time, t- yeah, you, you had gone back to theaters at that point because I know pig was earlier that year and that was your like return to theaters movie. Right. right? That's right. Um, but I don't, but you weren't going back a lot. And I think if you had the option to watch it at home, I think that was kind of your move, right? Yeah. 
Most likely. Otherwise, this would have been one of the like two or three movies I actually saw in theaters that year. Because, uh, yeah, this would have been, uh, you know, it's a, it's, too, it's a big event. You got to go see it. Come on. Yes. Yeah. A huge, huge event movie. And it was really positioned as a big blockbuster. Uh, and I remember when it was coming out, there was a lot of like questions. Like it felt like a big question mark because like uh, the studio wasn't sure how well this movie was going to do. And they hadn't felt like they didn't film Dune part one and two back to back or anything like that. So like if Dune had failed, there wouldn't have been Dune part two. And so it would just only yeah. be half of the story yeah he, they had to earn a part two which is crazy yes. to think about in retrospect yes. now <laughs> uh and, and i think they did like just good enough like with the hybrid kind of covid release and stuff like that uh and now dune part two is positioned to be like a massive hit like it's it's truly going to be like it, it seems like this is going to be kind of a weaker year in general for movies like dune part two could win best picture at the oscars like i'm throwing that out there now I, that's my crazy prediction for next year is that this time next year we're talking about dune part two's crazy oscar win <laughs> Hell yeah. That would be uh, which awesome. Would, which would be wild. Uh, Dune 1 was nominated for Best Picture, so there is precedence uh, for that's there. That's true. But yeah, that that's maybe getting ahead of it a little bit. But yeah, so so when Dune Part 1 came out, uh, you watched it a bunch of times, I think, right, Mike? Like, you watched it a few times at home. Yeah, I was pretty pretty immediately taken with it. Um, and it's exciting to see uh, everybody else catch up to me. Uh, no. Right. <laughs> um, but, but <laughs> The arbiter but of yeah, all was, culture. <laughs> Uh, obviously, yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was very, very taken. I mean, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a Villeneuve head. I'm a big Danny yes. guy. So that that's right away. I'm on board pretty much. And um, yeah, and then just having the availability of it on uh, on Max, just being able to be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to sit down and just watch. I'm going to watch some Dune or whatever. You know, I, sometimes yeah. I would watch the certain sections of it or whatever because it just looks so fucking cool. That's the thing about this movie, um, especially in rewatching it. I haven't watched it maybe in a year or so. I, I don't remember the last time I watched it before for this episode and we're we're so deep into the ai everything on the volume so fucking washed out shitty awful looking and just to see all the minute detail and everything that goes into you know i assume they were not on actual arrakis but like you can't really tell that they're not there right (laughs) Right. like (laughs) like it's wild of how good everything in this movie looks uh and just just getting really so absorbed and blown away into it and there's lots of shots where you'd be like yeah this is the 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 blade runner guy also you know like he blade runner 2049 like it just all a lot of stuff like the particularly scenes when they're flying over the city looks very much like when they were flying over the city in blade runner um just in the desert instead of the rain or whatever um and yeah just 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 totally taken away by it love, love this movie yeah and i will say so when i saw it i saw it in theater i saw it at the roxy the uh, indie theater near my house missoula montana where i also work and went to go see it there saw it in a packed house opening night and uh yeah i know a lot of people i knew were very hyped for it and i was like yeah i'm looking forward to it like it's you know it's a big sci-fi thing i liked any villeneuve in general and uh i think you know i was definitely um like, you know, taken in by the visual language of the movie. Like, it looks incredible. I couldn't deny that. I love the score by Hans Zimmer and everything about, like, the movie on a technical level was awesome. And then just on a storytelling level, like, I felt cold by it. Like, I felt like I was, like, at a remove from everything that was yeah. going on. And I think part of that was the sort of feeling that I had watched about half of it. You know, it was, you know, there was, there's definitely like other movies. I think Spider-Verse 2 does this pretty well. Uh, and I think other movies that are like adapted from books that get split into two, like Harry Potter and Deadly Hollows part one or whatever, like they will find like a cliffhanger moment to end the movie on. Like so, something where it feels like you've watched like 
a complete thing and like, oh, here's a hook to get you into the next thing. And Dune doesn't really do that. Dune just kind of sort of stops. Like it, it you know, it ends. There's a kind of a cheeky moment where Zende is like, oh, but this is only the beginning. Uh, I was going to say, I think the literal last line of the movie is that this is only the beginning. <laughs> right. And, uh, like, you know, what? I, <laughs> and I remember feeling a little bit cheated by that, uh, you know, and I'm somebody who like, you know, like when Fast X came out this year, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. They're ending it right when he's about to get hit by a tidal wave. You know, hey, I'm in. No questions uh, asked. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason with Dune, I felt sort of at a remove from that. Even though even the going in, like knowing that it's like part one, like as the first half of the book, I guess, I guess I thought there would be like some kind of more definitive ending than just sort of ending like with him walking in the desert or whatever it was. Uh, and then otherwise, like I felt like, you know, there was a lot of cool stuff in the movie, but I wasn't totally taken in by the way I told its story. Uh, and I was like, maybe that's just a problem with me and Dune in general, like not just this movie, but like couldn't get into the David Lynch version. Like it just seems very dense. There's a lot of mythology that I don't really know about. And then I watched it again this past weekend. And uh, a lot of those problems just like really floated away for me. Uh, I found myself completely enraptured by Dune. I think it helped to watch it at home with subtitles. Um, just so I, that's <laughs> what I was just going to say. I think I did see this in theaters. Cause I remember thinking, how the fuck did they not put subtitles on this part? Like when I did watch it at home with subtitles, uh, <laughs> and a lot of stuff is like being chanted by a thousand voices in the background. And I, right. I don't mean like the scenes where there are a thousand people. It's like when Paul is hearing stuff and it's like yeah. having visions and you're like, Oh, that's what they're saying. Like it totally unlocks everything, uh, about his vision and his prophecy and all that shit. Um, yes. Uh, so agreed it, on the subtitle part. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely helped, especially because a lot of times like somebody will come in and be like, ah, yes, and this is the Gorm Jobber or whatever. Like just like <laughs> yeah. just saying like nonsense words. <laughs> you know? As if we all know what that means. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I've watched a lot of like wacky sci-fi and fantasy and stuff in my day. I'm used to that. But I think Dune is like very heavy with that kind of stuff. Like, And uh, it doesn't really like, kind of hold your hand on that, which is great. Uh, I like kind of being just thrown into that sci-fi world. But I think what the first time I watched it, I was a little I was a little bit thrown. But watching it with subtitles definitely helped. And it really I really grew a new appreciation for the way it sets up its story. And this is a very exposition heavy movie. Uh, I think it's going. Yeah. To, but I do think it plays a lot better knowing that I'm about to watch Dune part two. Like I'm about to see the second half of the story, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so all, all of this like build up and anticipate like set up set up that this movie does feels like it's going to pay off in a week when I watch Dune part two, you know, and and when I watched it three years ago, I was like, I don't even know if Dune Part 2 is coming out. Uh, right. So it, it definitely felt like, I don't. is this going anywhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I do. I do agree. I do feel that for sure, where you're like, well, but am I going to remember who this character is or like what this who these people are, or what they're doing <laughs> is like that really going to you know, have a satisfying conclusion. And now we don't know necessarily if it will be satisfying, but we know that some conclusion is coming. Right. So you don't have right. that looming over your head, um, which I felt 100 percent in Fast X. I was like, how fucking dare you end in this scene is my reaction uh, end at this moment, which I guess is could is, is a reasonable reaction to have for Zendaya to turn and look at the camera and say, this is only the beginning and then cut to credits or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's like, fuck you. How dare I fucking tell me a whole story, you assholes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh yeah. doing rules. So I don't mind. Yeah. I mean, and I was so much more taken in with, uh, everything in this movie uh, this time around. Like a lot of it just like felt more memorable to me. I, like the characters I kind of got more attached to, you know, that's 
we've had this discussion before, but like Timothy Chalamet, good or bad? Question mark. You know, like, uh, and I, uh, I, impossible I, to know. <laughs> yeah, impossible to know. We could, we can't ever figure it out. Uh, Schrodinger's actor. It, it's that like a uh, community episode where they're going like to Nicolas Cage, good or bad? Question mark. Yeah, uh, and Abed's like going crazy <laughs> trying to figure out whether Nicolas Cage is a good or bad actor. <laughs> um, yes, 100%. and uh, that's that's me with Timothy Chalamet, where I'm like, you know what? I I think he's really great in French Dispatch. I think he's very good in Bones and all. And I remember watching Dune and thinking that he was kind of flat and I still kind of think that, but I think it's in a way that sort of fits the movie now. Like I, th- I think he is sort of flat in that like sci-fi protagonist kind of way that allows the movie around him to be bigger or whatever and allows the other characters in the movie to really pop. Uh, like Jason Moa is so good. So good in Dune. Uh, He's great. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård is crushing it as, uh, as Baron Harkonnen. Oscar Isaac is his father. Rebecca Ferguson is his mother. Yeah. And, and it's just like a, just a really packed. I, I forgot how packed the cast of Dune was. We're like, oh, hey, Charlotte Rampling's in this scene, and she has a needle pointed at Timothy Chalamet's uh, neck uh, and stuff like that. I don't know. There's there's a lot of cool stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. There's so much just iconic imagery and stuff, which I uh, just just from like being in nerd culture and stuff like I am passingly familiar or like that that cultural osmosis thing like the Bene Gesserit and and like just things and words like Shailud and stuff from yeah. Dune that I don't necessarily even really like before seeing this movie and stuff like know are from Dune or what they mean in Dune just that like that's a thing from Dune you know like yeah. I don't know and then to see it like this and like just in, in this movie sort of just like instantly is like oh okay like holy shit this is amazing like you know I don't know it's, it's such a weird effect um, with something as sort of ubiquitous as dune but also not just totally mainstream i don't i don't know dune occupies this weird liminal space between like nerd underground shit and also yeah just, uh, there's a david lynch movie of it like you know like right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that, that is the weird thing i think dune is this kind of like it's a thing that a lot of people know it's i think you know in terms of like you know introductory sci-fi novels or something again not neither of us have read it but like i think if you think of sci-fi novels like dune comes up pretty quickly you know it's it's a thing that people are aware of but i think only like really hardcore people were into for a long time in that way i think it is sort of like lord of the rings right where before Mm. the peter jackson lord of the rings movies that was a pretty niche thing the like the fantasy like J.R.L. tolkien books and then the movies came out and they were a huge event and they were like big and massive and like people loved them and all that stuff and suddenly lord of the rings was like very mainstream and it sort of feels like that's happening with dune a little bit right yeah absolutely because a lot of the in general the marketing for dune 2 is just like aren't all of these people hot yeah <laughs> <It's> like crazy <laughs> um it's such a wild uh, but it's working you know uh wild yeah. marketing strategy and they're getting um, and they're getting like every young hot actor to be in dune in the dune movies now uh yeah like, right you know we lost uh, we lost jason moe and oscar isaac in this one they both died um but hey now we got florence Pugh. we got austin butler apparently anya taylor joy is popping up in dune 2 you know like uh yeah yeah, people are people are in this now. Like it's 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 drawing in a lot of big talent, which is cool. Which is awesome. How cool would it be if the way you know, like Marvel movies uh, for the last ten years or whatever, just swallowed up every actor in Hollywood? If it's just weird Denny Villeneuve movies from now on, just start <laughs> just start casting everybody. That'd be the coolest shit of all time. That that um, would be cool. I mean, I you know we've talked about uh, I, like uh, many times over the last couple of years, and I think this past year especially, like sort of like a sea change that's sort of happening in audience tastes and what they're going out to see and with Marvel movies especially like you know Marvel had three movies out in 2023 one of them was a big hit Guardians of the Galaxy 3 which was like the farewell to those characters and like 
that director right. James Gunn is jumping over to another universe and stuff. Uh, and the other two were Ant-Man 3 and the Marvels, which both like tanked. They, bo- they both did very poorly and were both critically like not well received <laughs> and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, and then meanwhile, you have other like surprise successes that kind of came out in 2023, like Barbie and Oppenheimer. And it really does feel like there's a sea change in audience tastes uh, that is happening right now. And I think Dune is part of that. Uh, like I-, I wouldn't be surprised if like Dune 2 makes like a hundred million dollars this weekend. Like if it does like big box office numbers and especially because there's not that much else out like there's there's not much else out right now other than like madam web uh which uh you know (laughs) i'm gonna see madam web at some point but i still haven't seen it and it's been out for two weeks and for a spider-man adjacent movie to be out for two weeks and me to not have seen it that's pretty damning of madam web (laughs) yeah i know producer colin saw madam web and i think his reaction was just kind of like a what the fuck uh situation uh i do which is very fun based on what i've seen about madam web i think i'm gonna secretly kind of like it just like as like a piece of like camp you know okay uh, yeah like from what from what i've seen like it's it seems really funny uh which like it seems like bad but also funny in the way in the ways that it's bad whereas morbius the other like you know prominent sony i mean i guess venom is also one of them too but like morbius was like bad but in a boring way and madam webb seems bad in a funny way that's that's my take not having seen madam webb yet i think we all just need to wait until the ship is righted with craven and we'll have all be <laughs> right again you know <laughs> craven the hunter is going to turn this thing around yeah that's right yeah 100 <laughs> percent. but um, until then we'll have dune and dune 2 uh part two. exactly um yes and presumably dune messiah it seems like uh it seems like they're gonna green light that pretty soon so that's cool to see any other thoughts about dune one mike um i mean any scenes that stand out to you that you want to kind of give a shout out to i mean just sort of all of it uh like just the just the production design the way everything looks is amazing the ornithopters look fucking awesome they're like i don't i don't know how those it, it looks so real. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe my reaction to these things. Um, yeah. And it's, it's shocking to see movies that cost so much more. I assume, I, I also assume Dune to Dune just had an infinite budget. I don't know how much it actually cost, but, uh, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, Dune had a budget. Dune one had a budget of 165 million. Okay. That uh, which, is a lot of money. It, no, yeah, that shows. A lot, <laughs> that, yeah, it shows. Absolutely. But you compare it to, let's say Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, uh, which, uh, looks like shit and uh, had a budget of $275 million. It, it cost $110 million more to make Ant-Man 3. <laughs> um, which is the movie with the stretched out Modoc face with Corey Stoll. Right, right. And then you look at Dune and it's like, why did this cost $100 million less than this? wild that's wild i mean it's like uh the creator right that movie also is in a similar situation there yeah yeah which that, is that even less costs, than this yeah that, that movie costs like 80 million dollars and it looks fantastic it looks great wild yeah. um so yeah just broadly the the look and feel of dune is in general and then yeah other performances and to get back to your timothy chalamet question yeah i don't know about good good or bad it's like we said impossible for us to know but <laughs> it is uh his very like wooden performance sort of fits the character of Paul is portrayed in the movie at least you know I'm sure in a book you get much more interiority and all that stuff but that kind of like bred to to rule a kingdom like inhumanity thing that he has to has going on yeah um so maybe in Dune 2 is that, is that he moves further and further away from that uh, life. Maybe we'll see him liven up a little bit. I don't know. I guess we'll see in a week or so. But it, but it does really serve to highlight like just how, you know, like how bro-y Duncan Idaho is and like uh, how how intense Gurney is. Uh, Josh oh, Brolin's character, right? Josh Brolin, yeah. Josh Brolin, yeah. Like just his, his like you said, um, 
his sort of woodenness or flatness really makes everyone else around him pop. Um, so it makes it very exciting. So yeah, I don't know. Still, jury's still out. I haven't seen Bones and all. I do kind of want to check that out. You should check it out. It's good. Yeah. And and yeah. It, it would put like a pro in your Timothy Chalamet column. If you're like creating a spreadsheet or whatever it is you do. <laughs> what, maybe maybe yeah. the complete work season five should just be Timothy Chalamet. To, just Timothy Chalamet. Oh, just, just to get us to figure out like, hmm, do we like this guy? What's going on here? Um, yeah, we'll have to, we'll put, well, you know, it's up to the people. It's up to the it's audience. Up, it's up to the people. Yeah. Uh, so we will see what happens there. He's an, inter, he's an interstellar. Do you remember he's an interstellar? Yeah. He's the son, right? Yeah. yeah he's right. he's like the younger version of Casey Affleck or whatever in, uh, in oh interstellar. My God, I forgot what an awful aging into, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like actually in terms of just like a visual casting, that's pretty good. Solid, they do kind of yeah. look, yeah, I forgot about that, that he's in that. Yeah. Um, I, and I also I never saw call me by your name or whatever. Right. That, yeah, call, that was like call his breakout. name is that was his breakout. Uh, I think he I think he was Oscar nominated for that movie. Uh, I I don't know. I wasn't crazy about calling him by your name. I think it's okay. I, I think he's fine okay. in it. Uh, I, I it just wasn't like I don't know. I, I didn't connect with it. I guess. Um, but people loved it. Pe- people did love calling by your name, and that was his breakout movie. But he was also in Lady Bird that same year. Ah, um, uh, that's right. He's, he's the, yeah, hella tight douchebag boyfriend, which I did think he was really good in. Like I, he's good in that role, yeah. and like he was in Little Women two years later. Like he's he's popped up in a lot of stuff I like. Uh, and yeah, and I, and I do think like French dispatch was the first thing where I was like, all right, there's something here. There there's, there's something here that shall make it Wonka. What'd you think? Yes. Or his performance in Wonka. Not a fan. <laughs> didn't, okay, didn't like it. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't really like Wonka in general, but I think Timothy Chalamet's performance is a big part of that for me, actually, Ooh. uh, where I, I found him like very grating in that movie, you know, and, and I think maybe that movie could have worked with somebody else playing Wonka. Maybe because it is like it's a Paul King movie. It's so it's the director of the Paddington movies and it has very much that like aesthetic that like that set design that production like the it has these big elaborate musical numbers and mm-hmm. I don't know just uh, if you had somebody there who wasn't trying to like be like Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura then maybe <laughs> oh my god <laughs> there there could be something here but yeah Wonka didn't work for me and a large part of that was Timothy Chalamet but having watched Dune again I do think he works in Dune I think it's uh, he's given a solid performance and really everybody is is doing great work in Dune and yeah movie looks incredible it's it's wild and yeah and I, and it does play a lot better for me having watched it the second time knowing there's a second half of the story coming <laughs> that, that that's the big thing i think for me that like really kind of drew me away from it before was that this feels unfinished you know <laughs> like, this right. feels like there's there's more left that i don't get to see and i don't know if i will uh so it's nice to know that there is going to be a conclusion <laughs> that's good i'm glad i'm glad that that uh made you feel better about the movie and now now you're on the dune train i'm on the dune now train now you're gonna be a dune guy I, I hope i hope to be a dune guy one day yeah uh i'm gonna <laughs> may, maybe read dune my, my brother's girlfriend has read all of the dune like she's read like all of the dune books like all, all six uh frank herbert books or whatever uh has mixed feelings on like the series as a whole um, which is kind of what I understand, like what I gather from a lot of Dune fans. Like, yeah, the first three books are really good. And then it gets off into some weird shit, but she refuses to watch this, these movies. She, she has not watched, uh, what? Dune. And I think the reason she read those books is because the movie was coming out and then refu- and then afterwards refused to watch the movie. And I think it's because like she, you know, uh, an out of hand rejection of anything that's too popular or mainstream or whatever it is. Yeah. And also just like a, a kind of thing where like, I don't know if I like Timothy Chalamet as the character. It's like, ah, oh, I don't know. Check out the movie. It's pretty good. <laughs> 
like, yeah, that's fair. I know. I know. There's you know a broad um, like it's a thing with the books or with books and movies in general. I remember my mom talking about this when the Lord of the Rings came out. Um, those books are very important to her. They're she's like her favorite books, and she reads yeah. them a lot. And she was like resentful of the fact that the actors replaced the characters in her mind the next time she read the books. Oh, okay. And she's yeah. like, how fucking dare you? Like I've been with these books forever. Like, you know, it's just like a <laughs> thing that happens now. You're just like, well, now I'm picturing Viggo Mortensen instead of whatever she used to picture Viggo uh, uh, right. to look like, you know? Uh, so anyway, maybe there's a, th- maybe there's some of that going on too. Could be, could be some of that too. Yeah. That, that was, um, I remember so the Lord of the Rings movies were like universally beloved and I had never heard like anybody say a bad thing about them until like in like 2010, 2011, something like that. There's a, there's a recurring joke on Parks and Rec about how like Ben Wyatt, Adam Scott's character is like a big nerd. Uh, yeah. And you know, t- and there's a, there's an episode of Parks and Rec where the season sorry is making fun of Ben Wyatt. It's like, ah, oh, what, what did you go on a walking tour of, uh, you know, New Zealand to go to the Lord of the Rings sets or whatever. And Adam Scott just like very like quietly goes like, yeah, well, wasn't actually really a big fan of Peter Jackson's interpretations. He can put that one on. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that joke actually. Uh, yeah. And- I was like, oh man, <laughs> he doesn't like the Peter Jackson movies. Everybody likes the Peter Jackson movies. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's always people who aren't going to like the thing, but Dune part one, it's good. Turns out good. Yeah. Uh, so what, what else do we have to discuss, Mike? I guess that's 30 minutes on Dune. <laughs> that's 30 minutes on Dune. So yeah, we should uh, talk about some other stuff. What do, you, what do you got, Mike? What have you been watching recently? Um, I've been watching just a couple movies. Mostly uh, I've been playing a video game okay. that just dropped a couple weeks ago called Helldivers 2, which I don't know okay. if you've heard. Has this crossed over into big video? Mike's back into video games in a big way. Uh, no, I think you were telling me about this game maybe last week, uh, or so like off the air or something like that. Probably. No, I, I just finished uh, the uh, God of War Ragnarok Valhalla DLC, uh, okay. which is pretty cool. Uh, and I just started playing Star Wars Jedi Survivor, nice. which uh, is also pretty cool, pretty fun. Um, but yeah, I, I have not played Helldivers yet. Yes, so Helldivers 1 is... Fr- it's old. I forget exactly when it came out, but uh, it's basically the shtick is it's just uh, your it's Starship Troopers is really just the only way to describe it. You're right. soldiers in Super Earth's army um, and you're being sent out to defeat the enemies of liberty, which are either robots or bugs. Uh, and just it's just a mission. You crash land on the Earth or on a planet and you just, you know, kill kill bugs, kill robots. Depends on what whatever you're doing. Um, yep. And it's incredible. It's so much fun uh, having an absolute blast and, and just living in that. They, the, the game does a really great job of having that satire of, you know, imperialism and fascism and authoritarianism and just all of that kind of stuff going on. And I think it does a really good job of not what's the, you know, like if you satirize something, but you don't do it well enough. So people think you end up supporting the thing, uh, kind of okay, trap yeah, you could yeah. fall in. Um, I don't think it, I think it, it avoids that for the most part. Uh, it's a lot of fun and they had a whole bunch of server issues. They, this game was, is like a runaway success. They were, I think I saw they were expecting something between 40,000, um, concurrent players at the same time. That's how much they like built the servers and stuff to support. And they were uh, capping at over a million. So uh, everything was crashing. Everything was on fire. Nobody could play the game because there were queues because there wasn't enough room. All this stuff. Uh, they're just really suffering from success with Helldivers 2. But they've, they've worked it out. Yeah. It's been a couple weeks now. Um, the last weekend uh, or two, we've been able to get in with no problems, no wait times. My friends and I just getting in there, cranking up some music. Uh, like, you know, it's like the kind of game that you're like, you want to like listen to AC. DC and shoot bugs and just like <laughs> be silly with. Um, right. So we've been doing that, playing a lot of that, which led me to watch for the first time in its actual theatrical full version, Starship Troopers. Oh um, man. So you had never seen Starship Troopers before or like in full. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I had ever seen like the not, if I had seen it, 
it was like the TBS or what TNT for, you know, that's more of a TNT movie, uh, TNT yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of vibe. Um, so I edited and all that stuff. So I had never seen like an actual theatrical version of it and just like, holy shit, man, how did nobody, how did uh, nobody get it? You know, <laughs> is the thing <laughs> just really so far ahead of its time. Uh, and now, you know, and it's, and I think the reason Starship Troopers discourse really kicked off in the last couple weeks on film Twitter was because Helldivers 2 came out and it's very much the same feel. Mm. Um, so that has been very fun to watch all that stuff. And yeah, just incredible. Paul Verhoeven is just amazing. And uh, all the performances in it are great. I don't know. <laughs> Michael Ironside's awesome in it. Uh, yeah. It's a great, great movie. Yeah, he kills it. Um, yeah, no, I, I love Starship Troopers. I've seen it twice now, I think, maybe maybe two or three times. But uh, yeah, no, that, that movie rules. Uh, there's a moment in Starship Troopers that I think about all the time, which is like every once in a while, it'll cut back to like news shows that are like kind of showing you like the coverage of the bugs and stuff like that. And there's like a roundtable discussion uh, where somebody's like, oh, you know, these bugs uh, might have like intelligent thoughts and uh this one guy is just like shouts like a bug that thinks i find the idea of a bug that thinks to be offensive (laughs) yeah uh, and it was like yeah man how do people not get this i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's pretty upfront about it's it's satire yeah yeah and yet you know Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, all those guys are all still around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's who they're making fun of in 1997. Uh, and they're all still yeah. here, uh, which is nuts. And yeah, yeah, that, that stuff is great. And and the I, I love that blend of like newsreel footage, uh, which is like those sections. And then just in general that the movie is, you're watching a propaganda movie from the universe the movie sets, is set in, right? Like that's the yeah. whole shtick of the thing. Um, and it's just so intense. And I, I was not, I was not, I mean, I guess I should have been prepared or should have expected the like outright gore <laughs> that goes on in this movie um but i was not prepared for it and when it starts happening i was like holy shit yeah these people are getting bit in half <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's gnarly yeah no absolutely it rules um yeah so i should watch starship troopers again yeah no, i mean there was the discourse i think because of the game and also because there was a couple of like blue check marks on twitter who were like oh yeah starship well, troopers yeah. it's not satire it's actually fascist or whatever and it's like oh, okay you don't right, <laughs> Yeah, he's they're they're dressed like the SS. How much more obvious could you? Anyway, right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you got, Mike? Yeah, I got a couple things. Uh, mostly new releases here. Um, I did go to see uh, Drive Away Dolls this weekend. Oh, um, that's out. It, it's out. Came out this weekend. Uh, yeah, it's oh, the shit. New, yeah new film uh, directed by Ethan Cohen, one half of the Cohen brothers, uh, which he co-wrote with his wife Trisha Cook, and it's a lesbian road trip comedy starring Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Biswanathan. Margaret Qualley, of course, from uh, The Leftovers and many other things. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Sanctuary, uh, and Geraldine Biswanathan, who was one of the girls in Blockers, uh, and has in general just been really good in the last couple of, in, over the last few years. But yeah, the two of them are uh, you know are both kind of unlucky in love. They're trying to just get out of the city. They're uh, doing a road trip to Tallahassee, but on their way, they get uh, embroiled in uh, some crime capers that uh, happen involving Pedro Pascal and Matt Damon and Bill Camp. And it involves a head in their back seats and uh, a briefcase full of something. It's a, uh, it's a reveal of what's in the briefcase. So I won't spoil oh. what's in there. Um, great. What's it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, I had a pretty good time with this. It's fun. It's uh, it's not like top tier Coens by any mean. And it's really just one cohen but it is like uh i think it's interesting to see driveway dolls uh being ethan cohen's like solo directorial debut and you pair it up with the tragedy of macbeth which was joel cohen's uh solo directorial debut a couple years ago 
uh, you know, the two of them kind of split up. They did these two movies separately and you take these two movies next to each other. And you're like, yeah, that's the Coen brothers. If you met, ma- if you mashed the tragedy of Macbeth and driveway dolls together, you have the Coen brothers sensibility. And so it's a weird thing where like each one sort of feels like you're, you're getting half of what you would normally get um, from, yes. from a Coen brothers movie. But that said, there's still lots of like in driveway dolls. It's, it's, it's a, a lot of very funny moments. The cast is having a lot, a lot of fun. Margaret Qualley especially is uh, doing like this, like really fun, like kind of Southern accent. She's really channeling like Nicolas Cage and raising Arizona, uh, which mm-hmm. I really appreciated. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, also it's 84 minutes. Uh, it's like a pretty like quick in and out does its thing. Uh, does it pretty well and then gets going. It's very sex positive. Uh, there's a very, like a lot, couple of fun sex scenes in the movie. Uh, and yeah, no, it's just, it's just a good time. It's, it, 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 it's such a like trifle. Like it's such a, like it's fluff, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not, there's not too much going underneath it. There's a, there's a little bit going on underneath, um, in terms of like, it's sort of commentary on certain politicians of the era and stuff like that, but that's very surface level. And it, it did kind of remind me of, of burn after reading a little bit. And there's, there's one bit in the movie that was like, Oh yeah, I know which brother came up with George Clooney's chair in burn after reading. It was Ethan. <laughs> Ethan, <laughs> Ethan came up with the chair. <laughs> it's wild uh, that, to really think about that, that the marriage between the highbrow experimental Shakespeare film <laughs> um, yeah. and this like, uh, you know, a crime comedy thing. Yeah. You know? lo- low stakes kind of Amblin crime comedy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so it's, it's fun to see these two movies kind of like come out sort of, sort of back to back. I mean, tragedy Beth, maybe like two years ago now, but like, yeah, it's, it's cool that, uh, they both got these, these out of their system sort of. And it seems like they are getting back together, the Coen brothers. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, have you heard about what they're doing next, Mike? It's like, a they're, they're planning like an a outright horror, horror movie. Supposedly yeah. a horror film in the vein of Blood Simple. Which, uh, sounds rad. So- sounds fantastic. And I, cool. and I think Ethan Cohen and his wife are actually also making another movie like on their own as well. Uh, Trisha, nice. Trisha Cook is her is her name. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I'm down for that as well. More more Coens is always a good thing in in my estimation. Uh, so yeah, Driveway yes. Dolls, pretty solid. I went to go see that. And then I also went to go see uh, the new film uh, directed by Zelda Williams and written by Diablo Cody, uh, Lisa Frankenstein, uh, which uh, came out a couple of weeks ago. I heard basically nothing about this movie before it came out. It just kind of came out and I was like, oh yeah, this looks fun. It's Diablo Cody. And uh, yeah, it stars Catherine Newton in the lead role and Cole Sprouse. Uh, and it takes place, I think it takes place in the 80s. It, it, it definitely takes place in the 80s. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's one of those things where like, oh, does it actually take place in the 80s or just like rip off the aesthetic or whatever? But uh, no, it actually, it definitely takes place in the 80s. It's very firmly in there. And it's very heavily influenced by like 80s and 90s Tim Burton movies, uh, stuff like Edward Scissorhands or My Boyfriend's Back is kind of a big one here too. And yeah, I had a really good time with Lisa Frankenstein. It's pretty fun. Catherine Newton plays this girl who um, her mom has died recently and she's kind of in with a new family and she's sort of an outcast at school uh, and she goes to a graveyard and she, you know, is sort of, she's really channeling like 80s Winona Ryder uh, in the role. Like she's like doing that kind of thing. Uh, and she goes to yeah. a graveyard and she's sort of a goth kid and she's tortured and she like leaves roses by the cemetery of like this one uh unmarked grave uh and the person in that grave ends up coming to life and uh tries to like romance Catherine newton that's cole sprouse and she's like trying to hide this guy from her family uh while also uh maybe going on a murder spree and it's oh. uh it's a good time it's pretty fun there's a uh, like some very sharp diablo cody dialogue which i enjoyed uh the production design and costume design is all really fun it's got a fun 80s soundtrack and yeah it doesn't go maybe as hard as it could in in the terms of the story it's telling but uh it has a lot of fun with its premise uh and it really felt like if this came out like 20 years ago 
I know like 15 kids that I went to high school with that would have been like their entire personality was right. Lisa Frankenstein, <laughs> you know, like this would have lined the walls of hot topics for years. Uh, if, if it came out a while <laughs> back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hey, maybe, maybe for uh, Gen Z, this will be that movie, you know, could Good be, for them. you never know. Uh, and Catherine Newton, fantastic in it too. Just uh, throw that out there as well. And Carla Gugino plays her mom. Uh, and she's pretty fun as well. Oh, uh, that's fun. Yeah. But yeah, there you go. Driveway dolls and Lisa Frankenstein. What else you got, Mike? What, what else uh, on your list? I got two more movies. Um, and, uh, the first one I'll talk about is from 2022 and that is called Candyland. Um, okay. and this is a horror movie, I guess, slasher kind of thing. Um, but for the first maybe 30 ish minutes, um, it kind of, kind of misdirects a little bit. And I was more sort of like more into that movie. And this is about a group of sex workers that work at a truck stop, uh, and live in the motel at the truck stop. And, you know, uh, and it's just really this kind of slice of life, you know, comedy a little bit, but more so, more so just like in there, you kind of need like a little bit of gala's humor to get by in this sort of yeah. uh, situation they're in and just the, the rough stuff they're going through. Um, and it's not like particularly bleak or anything like that, but uh, it's just a slice of life thing with them. And then there's also this uh, like religious cult that is around them nearby or something and comes to the truck stop to, to kind of proselytize and they meet them and there's like, you know, a little bit of conflict. And one of these cult girls, a young or, you know, a a woman uh, runs away and comes back to the truck stop and asks them to like, you know, will you take me in? Well, I, I, I want to leave the cult. I want to be with you guys instead. Um, and it kind of leads into this. Uh, that's sort of the, the slice of life stuff. Them teaching her how to do this and the codes they all use and all this stuff. And then um, some some slashing starts kind of prototypical just slasher stuff. And then it kind of gets a little paint by numbers there. Uh, so and then and then like the back half of the movie is that slasher stuff. Who's okay. this weird new girl? What's this cult? What's going on? Um, so it's, I mean, it's cool. It's good. I think the performances are all really great. Uh, Billy Baldwin is in it. Uh, and he's just, a, just, he's the sheriff that, uh, is like in on the, in on it with them. And is just like an absolute bastard really taking advantage of the situation for not calling anybody, not telling anybody or breaking them in, or, you know, breaking up the ring here and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. It was cool. I think the performances are really good. Um, I just wish maybe the story was a little more interesting or it went a little harder into the horror slasher stuff. Um, right. But, Pretty good. It was pretty good. That's that's Candyland. Cool. And that's on Shutter. Oh, um, yes, I watched that. No, it's not on Shutter. Actually, I, I watched it by means. It's around. Okay. Um, I don't remember. Ex- I think it's to rent on Prime. Actually, gotcha. And then the last thing I watched is on the Criterion channel, and I think also has a uh, recent or coming up. I don't really remember actually. Uh, if it, ha- it it is on, it's coming on disc or is on disc recently. Um, and that is called Blast of Silence from okay. uh, 1961. And this is just a real like it, it, I was gonna say real like classic to the form noir movie. Um, and this is about a hitman that comes to New York to perform a hit on somebody in it's Christmas, the week of, I think he gets there on Christmas Eve, gets to New York. And it's just all about the kind of like slow procedural, you know, how he does that. What do you do? Right. Uh, him, him following the target. And, and it's got, but it's not really, it's got this really interesting blend of, of this kind of noir setup, but also that like pseudo documentary, 1961, low budget verite style where it's like, I think they're just kind of filming in New York w- with non-actors around, like on the street sometimes and stuff like like that uh, so it's yeah. got that kind of like burgeoning new hollywood thing going on um so it's a really cool blend of those two moments but it has all the stuff that like i love from the noir including uh, noir form or whatever including like a narrator that is not part of the story but is like directly addressing the, okay, <laughs> the character yeah. 
you know, where it's like he's he, uh, you know, he's tailing somebody or whatever. And like somebody catches a glimpse over him over the shoulder. And the narrator is like, ah, you did it now, bub. They spotted you. You know, like they're just like talking to the character. Um, and that shit rules. It's so funny um, yeah. <laughs> to have that blended in with moments where like I'm pretty sure there's not actors around. <laughs> um, you know, right. And then, yeah. And then it's just like a, a kind of day by day. Uh, you know, he's got like three or four days to pull this off. And then him realizing, you know, um, all, all the stuff that goes wrong and like, oh, the, the target's only alone for a, a sh- very short window. So like it's got to be quick, which means you'll need a gun, which means you need to expose yourself to somebody else because you need to buy a gun while you're here now. And it's more people that could place you in New York at this time. And it's just like an escalation and escalation and right. all that stuff. Um, and the best part, 77 minutes, including the credits. So hey, there it is. You're in and out. Yeah, you're in and out. It's the chopping ball cut. Uh, it's great blast of silence on the Criterion channel. Nice. Sounds awesome. Uh, I will try to check that out soon. Uh, and that's all the uh, stuff you got, right, Mike? That's everything. That's all the things. Sweet. All right. And then I just have a couple more movies I wanted to mention. I went to a Bruce Campbell double feature at the Roxy uh, this past weekend, which was a pretty awesome time. Yes, you're talking my language. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, yeah, this was her trash vault at the Roxy. So a friend of the show, Charlie McCorn, uh, she programmed this. And yeah, it's a Bruce Campbell double feature, which started with uh, Maniac Cop from 1988, directed by Bill Lustig, which have you ever seen Maniac Cop, Mike? I have not but i i am well familiar with its uh, reputation okay cool uh yeah maniac cop rocks it is fantastic <laughs> maniac cop has such a wild cast uh that is assembled for this movie uh so it's a bill lustig movie uh that is written by larry cohen and it's got bruce campbell uh tom atkins is in it and richard roundtree is also in this uh who played shaft he's the original shaft uh yeah. and yeah it's uh yeah and also jake lamada is in it like like the boxer Jake LaMotta that Raging Bull is based on. He plays Detective Mata. The real guy? Yeah, the real Jake LaMotta is in it. Sam Raimi's in it as a news reporter. <laughs> um, there's a few, <laughs> a few people that, uh, that pop up in this. But yeah, it's... Uh, an action slasher movie where this um, police officer that was killed in the line of duty uh, returns from the dead and seeks revenge on the people that wronged him. And Bruce Campbell is like framed for being the maniac cop. Like people think that he's, he's a police officer and people think that he's the one who is killing people all all across New York city. Uh, This might be the most a cab movie of all time. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's really incredible uh, the, w- the way it's, um, you know, there, there's moments in the movie in 1988 when like you're watching people on the uh, on the screen, like uh, during like news reports being like, yeah, man, cops love killing people. That's why they became cops. Like that's like a line in the movie. And uh, yeah, it's also a St. Patrick's Day movie, which is fun. Uh, and yeah, it, it rides this very interesting line of like this is actually like a pretty legit great slasher and then it's also in other points like hilarious and wacky and all that kind of stuff uh there's a final action set piece which is so good where a car kind of flips into the river and into the hudson river and yeah it just uh it rocks it's so much fun maniac cop it's fantastic uh and also it gives bruce campbell a chance to like I don't know. Be like just the lead of like a horror movie. That's not like a wacky, like Looney Tunes type thing, like evil dead, you know? Yeah. Like if like I'm watching Bruce Campbell and he's like, oh, he's killing it. He's doing a great job in maniac cop. And like, it's a movie that has like a camp value to it, I guess. But like, it's a, uh, it's different than evil dead is, you know what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you know, it's got, I, I've heard it's got this like kind of, you know, exploitation vibe meets, you know, I don't know what else to 
say about it like that. But yeah, that's, that's interesting to see or to think about Cam- Bruce Campbell in like also a leading sort of sort of leading role, I guess, um, from what it sounds like, uh, or major supporting role at least. Yeah, he is. And um, have it not be a Sam Raimi joint. <laughs> yeah, we're, the movie is Tom Atkins is like the lead character of the movie for the first like two thirds, uh, and then Tom Atkins dies and Bruce Campbell becomes the main character. Um, cool. So Bruce Campbell's like in it throughout, and then Bruce Campbell ends up being the main focus as the as the movie goes on. But yeah, it's fantastic. Maniac Cop. It rules. That was the first movie in the Bruce Campbell double feature, uh, which was then followed by Bubba Hotep, directed by Don Coscarelli, director of the Phantasm movies and Beastmaster. And I had also never seen Bubba Hotep. Uh, that's a movie that uh, as somebody who loves Bruce Campbell, loves the Evil Dead movies, all that stuff, like it was it was on my list for a long time. I've actually owned the Blu-ray of Bubba Hotep for a long time. I've just never gotten around to watching it. And yeah, have you seen Bubba Hotep, Mike? I have not seen Bubba Hotel. Okay. This is another one of those movies that uh, when I was a, uh, you know, getting into horror movies, Evil Dead, Bruce Campbell, all that stuff, that this is like, oh, th- he, there's this movie where he plays an Elvis impersonator or Elvis or whatever. And I didn't know that it was uh, directed by Don Coscarelli. That's pretty awesome. That kind of makes that, yeah. the uh, pumps that up into the, I should watch this sooner rather than later kind of thing. Yeah, you should. It's really solid. It's no maniac cop, but it's good. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, Bruce, <laughs> but yeah, Bruce Campbell plays, uh, you know, a guy in a retirement home um, who claims to be the real Elvis. He, he believes that he is Elvis Presley. Uh, everybody around him is like, no, you were an Elvis his impersonator who like broke his hip during a show and now you're here but he has like a whole story about how he is elvis and he actually like got tired of the fame and fortune and like went to find an elvis impersonator just like a prince in the pauper kind of situation to switch body it's like yeah. to switch places and so yeah he has that whole story uh his roommate in the and, and like at the same time his roommate in the um in the retirement home believes that he is john f kennedy and so that, <laughs> that's like another aspect of it too but they're in the retirement home and like this uh ancient Egyptian evil has been unleashed and they have to uh, defeat it. Uh, there's this like Egyptian mummy that was stolen during a museum tour that is like attacking the retirement home and they have to uh, defeat the evil. And uh, it's a movie that is obviously very wacky and silly, but it's also very sincere. Like it's uh, Bruce Campbell and like his story as Elvis, like he plays it very straight and he's going for a kind of emotion that I don't think you would expect from a movie like Boba Hotep. And it really works. It's really fun. So uh, yeah, had a great time with Boba Hotep as well. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's been one of the, it's been like, oh man, I got to watch this movie. And I just, it's been, you know, I don't know, 10 years or <laughs> whatever. Right. And I just never got around <laughs> to it. Um. So yeah, Bubba Hotep Roxy. Yeah, that was the Bruce Campbell double feature with the Roxy, which was so much fun. I had a blast uh, there. So thank you again to Charlie for programming that. And then, yeah, one last thing, actually, just to throw this out there. I watched Martin Scorsese's first film over the week, uh, over this past week as well, uh, which uh, I've been uh, trying to fill in my director gaps a little bit. I watched uh, the only Spielberg movie I hadn't seen recently, which was Always. And so I have like, I think, five Scorsese movies that I've never watched. Uh, and so I'm kind of trying to, you know, knock those out and have the full filmography going, or at least the narratives. There's more documentaries of his that I haven't seen, although I should watch those too. Uh, But Martin Scorsese's first movie was Who's That Knocking at My Door from 1967, uh, which is really great. It's, you know, it's a Scorsese picture. And it was one of those things where when I started up, I was like, okay, well, you know, Mean Streets is like kind of considered like Scorsese's breakout movie. That was like six years later. You know, sometimes it takes artists like a little bit of time to find their voice. So who knows like how much of Martin Scorsese I'm actually going to see in this movie, right? And then uh, Who's That Knocking on My Door starts. Catherine Scorsese is making and serving food. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then and then the next scene, uh, Harvey Keitel is the lead of the movie. It's like his first major role. And yeah, it's a Catholic Italian guy in New York played by Harvey Keitel who talks about the searchers for 15 minutes. And I was like, ah, yes, this is a Marty picture. <laughs> this, is, this is Martin Scorsese. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a very solid kind of like romantic drama uh, with Harvey Keitel um, kind of romancing this girl and, you know, dealing with, you know, his own kind of repressed Catholic feelings and all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's shaggy. It's uh, there's a lot of difficult stuff in it, but uh, it's fundamentally very compelling. Uh, Harvey Keitel's great in it. Uh, and yeah, it's just really cool. So who's the knocking on my door? It's worth watching. Nice. Yeah, I've never seen that. I've never seen um, a lot of the early Scorsese, I, I mean, pre-Taxi Driver stuff, I guess. Sure. You know, like, uh, uh, I actually haven't seen Mean Streets. Um, okay. Mean, mean yeah, Streets would be some of those. Yeah, that, that would be the big one out of that era is Mean Streets. Also, Alice doesn't live here anymore. It's also very good. That's yeah, I think I think before Taxi Driver, it's Who's the Knocking at My Door, Boxcar Bertha, Mean Streets, and uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. And I still haven't seen Boxcar Bertha. That's the next that's next on my list. So looking forward to that as well. Nice. Yeah. Okay, got to fill in the gaps. That's what we do here at Mike and Mike. Exactly. Yeah, it's on, it's on my list. So yeah, it's going to be happening soon. But all right. I think that it pretty much uh, wraps things up, Mike, unless you have anything else. No, that's all the stuff. I'm excited for Dune 2 yeah. next week. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to put out a uh, you know an invite to some of our friends, uh, anybody who's seen Dune 2 and wants to jump on the podcast. Uh, you know, so we might, we, might, we might have some guests next week. Talk about doom part two all right can't wait yeah all right uh okay and uh that is gonna be it for mike and mike go to the movies this week so uh thank you all for listening mike d where can we find you online this week you can find me at md film blog on twitter letterboxd and blue sky and if you'd like to donate to support the show you could do that at our ko-fi page which is ko-fi.com slash mike and mike pods uh where you can also donate fifty dollars pick an episode pick a title pick a movie pick yeah. a thing Make us make us watch whatever you want for fifty bucks. Um, and if you would like merch, we have merch available on our Redbubble, which is Mike and Mike Pods.redbubble.com. Yes, and you can find me online at M Smith Filmblog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich Instagram, and M Smith Filmblog on Blue Sky as well. Uh, thank you for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith, Mike's Cree Show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. If you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press, alongside many other podcasts, all kinds of comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Next week, it's Dune Part 2. We are taking the trip to Arrakis, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Yes, the spice must flow, and we'll be there. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I'm going to a mac and cheese-themed party afterwards uh, called the Mac and Kegger, and I'm creating a Dune-themed mac and cheese for the mac and cheese party. That's going to be my my thing. Uh, I have a, Is it uh, uh, going to have a mild hallucinogen in it? Uh, Is that what you're doing? <laughs> Uh, it's going to be a lot of spices that are going to be in the mac and cheese, uh, for sure. Okay. That's, that's going to be the plan. Uh, and then also it's going to have a, uh, it's, it's going to be a sandworm shaped tray. Like it's, it just happens to be like a zigzaggy tray that like I can say looks like a sandworm. Uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but, th- but then I'm also going to borrow a, a Lego minifigure of, uh, of Paul Atreides from one of my friends, uh, to place him at the front of the sandworms. It looks like he's riding it. Uh, and I'm calling it Paul Atreides. cheese. <laughs> You know what? That's better than I was expecting, and I give you a lot of credit for that, Mike. Pretty good, right? Pretty good. good job. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. So yeah, Dune Part Two next week. In the meantime, the Complete Work Season Four poll is done. It's out. Roy Scheider will be the new subject, so that's going to be happening soon. That said, a new Michelle Yeoh movie uh, is going to be uh, coming up soon on the Complete Works, and that is The Tiger's Apprentice, uh, which you'll be able to hear uh, next week in the podcast. Currently streaming on Paramount Plus. I guess if you want to go watch it, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Allegedly, uh, <laughs> allegedly streaming on Paramount Plus. That is the end of this week's episode. Mike and Mike go to the movies. We will see you on the other side. 